You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Well, good morning, everyone. If we haven't met before, my name's Tom. I'm one of the leaders here, and we are going to be continuing today our series called New Year's Revolution. We kicked off last week looking at a priority of devotion and how what was needed for us was not simply um, to resolve to do better this year, but actually a revolution, a radical change of our thinking and our practice. And today we're going to be looking at the priority of discipleship. Now before we get there, um, I just want to give a little bit of a giving update for us all. Um, it's, the, it's a new year, I just want to look at back at last year. And uh, just to say as well, for those of you who regularly give into the life of the church here, you'll be receiving <clears throat> an update at the end of this tax year, um, with a bit more detail than what I'm about to give now, and, uh, and some in details about where uh, we're spending our money and all, all that kind of stuff. So um, just so you're aware, uh, all of the things that we're able to do as a church are made possible by um, people like you who are giving into uh, the church here. We have a number of different ministries going on to children and young people, and ministries amongst those who are in need, and also uh, an international ministry as we're giving uh, money into church planting right across Europe and beyond. And so all, of the, all that we do is made possible by people who give uh, voluntarily of their money into the life of the church here. Um, we have nine members of staff, a mixture of part-time and full-time staff, and that equates to about five full-time uh, posts. And so all that we do is made possible by uh, people giving. And last year, I'm pleased to report that we uh, were... Uh, 6% up with regular giving on the previous year, which is great news. And it, mean, it means that we're able to uh, continue to increase all that we're doing in Ipswich and the surrounding areas. And not only did we see an increase of 6% uh, on our regular giving, but with our special offerings as well, uh, looking to raise money for a future building that's fit for our growing needs as a church, we raised £152,000 over two special offering days last year, which is amazing. And uh, from those funds, we were able to be uh, generous. We gave away over £7,000 to the work that Edward and Frida Buria are spearheading in Kenya, helping people to set up sustainable agricultural businesses to help alleviate people out of poverty. So that was so encouraging. Um, Just a heads up, really, that uh, in May we're going to go for another special offering towards our future building plans. We uh, have a couple of things that we're exploring right now as a leadership team that are very early stages, so there's not um, any point in me going into them in any depth. But we do believe that God has for us uh, a facility that's more fit for our needs so that uh, maybe we would be able to fit Uh, the two services that we currently meet as into one and then even have room to grow some more. That's kind of uh, what we believe in God for. And so we're going for another offering in May. Just a heads up for you all uh, on that front. So just a couple of things practically that you might want to do after this morning uh, is to actually look at your uh, giving and review it. Um, Sarah and I did this uh, early this week. We have always given, as far as I can remember, uh, over 10% of our income into the life of the church that we're part of. And uh, that's something that we want to continue to do for the rest of our lives. And uh, we looked at our bank account, looked dead to log in after Christmas time. It's always a bit of a risk, isn't it? You don't know what you're going to find. It's a bit like opening the door to the cupboard that lets you into Narnia. You're quite not quite sure what's going to happen. And uh, we looked and we thought, actually, yeah, we can, we can look to increase our, um, our monthly giving into the life of the church. And that's what we uh, have decided to do. So you might want to increase what you're giving. Uh, it might be that you want to set up 
a standing order to give here. The buckets, whilst they were passed around earlier, the vast majority of people in the church here will give by standing order. That means they'll go to their bank or they'll go online banking and set up a regular amount. This helps you and it helps us. It helps you to be able to give even when you're not here, but it also helps us um, that we are able to plan effectively knowing uh, what resources we have to use. So the, the details for setting up a standing order are on these envelopes, which you'll find on or near a seat uh, in front of you. So just to say, really, that uh, uh, God, is, God is doing great things amongst us. We're believing that he will continue to do great things amongst us. And uh, part of that, really, is that we need to continually look at, can we give more into what he's doing here um, so that we can see his kingdom advance uh, more and more? So I just want to encourage you in that. Okay, if you have a Bible with you, why don't you turn to Matthew and chapter 28. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, which is the second part of the Bible. And we're right at the very end of the book of Matthew. Jesus has just risen from the grave and he's addressing his disciples. So we're going to read uh, verse 16 onwards. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Shall we just pray together and ask for God's help as we unpack his word? Father, we thank you for the time we've had with you this morning. Thank you for the time we've had hearing from you and worshiping you. Thank you, Lord, that you're in control, you reign on high. And I pray this morning as we look in your word that you will help us to understand it and to apply it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know what you think about when you hear the word disciple or discipleship. I don't know what comes to mind when you think about it. Maybe you think about Jesus gathering his disciples around him on a mountaintop and him teaching them. Maybe you think about um, people who have tried to encourage you in years gone by by bashing you over the head with the Bible repeatedly until you know the verses off by heart. Maybe you think of discipleship and you think of someone actually being quite strong with you and maybe saying some tough things to you. Um, and maybe you've reflected sometimes that that's been unfair. Maybe sometimes it's been fair and helpful. I don't know what you think about <clears throat> when, you come, when it comes to discipleship, but this morning I want to help us see what discipleship is and to see why it's needed, why it's the mission for each one of us. Mike Breen, who's written a lot on the subject of discipleship, says this, A disciple is someone who, with increased intentionality and passing time, has a life and ministry that looks more and more like the life and ministry of Jesus. So, a disciple, then, is someone who, over a long period of time, it might be many, many years, and being intentional seeking after the word of God, applying it to our lives, and, and having others encouraging us that we'd actually look more like Jesus as time goes on. That's the goal of discipleship, that we'd look more like Jesus, more and more and more. It's a process. And so discipleship is the process of helping someone along in that journey. So this morning I want to ask a few questions of us and uh, unpack discipleship with us. Firstly, first question I'll ask us is, why aren't we making disciples? 
I think for many of us, we think last week we looked at the priority of devotion, we looked at prayer, putting God first, loving him, heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we think, well, I can do that, Tom. I probably have time to you know, give some time to prayer. I probably can just about squeeze in some devotion to God. And now you're asking me here to disciple people. I can't possibly fit that in. It's not, it's not my concern. It's not my job. Many of us here think that discipleship is for the, it's the job of people who are leaders in the church, whether that be people who are on staff or other uh, leaders in the church. We think that actually it's their job. It's the job of the professionals or the job of those who are paid. We think it's their job to help people become more like Jesus. Or we might think it's, uh, it's something that we can't possibly do because we look at our own lives and we think, my life's a bit of a mess. I, mean, I can't even get out of bed in the morning or I, can't even, I couldn't tell you where the book of Matthew is, let alone, let alone you know, navigate my way around a Bible or whatever it might be. We might think, well, I can't offer, uh, I can't offer discipleship to anyone because I'm, I'm not really there myself. Or we might think that we're actually not disciples ourselves, that actually we're not learning to become more and more like Jesus. Many of us here might have responded to the gospel, a message, I should say, rather, that says, you know, if you put your hand up now in this meeting, then you will have a ticket to heaven. Then you'll be, with, be in heaven forever when you die. And actually, we've not really considered that actually Jesus calls us to a radical life. That the gospel is that Jesus Christ sent by his Father, who so loved the world, that we sang about this morning, he so loved the world, he sent Jesus into the world. Jesus lived the perfect life. He never got anything wrong. He was betrayed by one of his friends, one of his closest friends. He was arrested, wrongly trialed, mocked, beaten, tortured, smashed to a cross, excruciating pain, buried, properly buried, in a tomb, sealed up, job done, And then three days later, he burst into life. And it's that Jesus who comes now and says, trust me for your future. Trust me for eternity. Come follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. This this eternity that we speak of, yes, it's by faith in Jesus. It's not by our own works. This relationship with God is wonderfully free, but it also comes at a cost. Discipleship comes at a cost. Following Jesus comes at a cost. And so we think, well, actually, I didn't think that God wanted me to change. I thought he loved me as I am. Yes, he does, but he absolutely wants you to change. He wants you to mature. He wants you to become more like Jesus. You can't be a disciple of Jesus and not be committed to making disciples yourself. It's an oxymoron. It's a contradiction because disciples of Jesus do what he did, and he made disciples. So we need to be disciple makers. That is what a disciple does. He or she makes disciples themselves. You know, if we left it to leaders to do, if we left it to paid staff to do, then maybe over the course of many years we might make 50 disciples. But with 300, 350, however many people there are in this church, if we each discipled someone we would make thousands of disciples over many years. So sometimes we feel that we're not able to. How can I help others? Well, Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, really the leader of the disciples, I suppose, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was denying that he even knew Jesus and was swearing at this girl who was asking him, well, you know Jesus. And he started 
dropping all kinds of swear words at us, saying, no, I don't know this guy. Well, just a few weeks later, he was leading thousands to Jesus and then was discipling people. The other disciples, they were squabbling. I don't know if you know this story. They're walking together, and Jesus hears that they're kind of arguing about some stuff. And he says, what are you arguing about? And they say, well, we want to know who's going to be the greatest when we come into heaven. We want to know which one's going to get to sit at your right hand, which one's going to get to sit at your left hand. And he's saying, this is not what it's about. You've completely misunderstood everything. He must have been face-palming big time because his disciples just were so immature, and yet that he made disciples. So when we look at our own lives, we can think, oh, I don't think I have it within me to make disciples. Well, there's always someone less mature than you in the faith. There's always someone that you can encourage, that you can help move to become more like Jesus. Some of us, we don't know how to do it. It's not been modeled well to us. We don't know how to make disciples. We don't know how to help people along that journey of becoming more like Jesus. And some will say that our lives are just too busy. I cannot fit anything else in. I, my evenings are full. My work schedule is too busy. I can't disciple anyone. As we're going to see later on, that is really born out of a misconception about where discipleship takes place. And we're going to unpack that together. So... Why aren't we making disciples? I think there's a number of reasons. Why is discipleship needed? Well, Jesus wants a mature church. He wants a church that stands out. He wants a church that shines. That individually, the individuals in that church, they would look different, but that collectively that church also would stand out in its community as completely different, completely uh, opposite to the way the kingdom of this world, that the kingdom of God looks alien, really to so many people. This is what he wants for us, to stand out. And so actually he wants us to mature more and more, to become more like Jesus. We don't want to look the same as everyone else, but just be people who take Instagrams of us reading the Bible. We actually want to be those who more and more and more look like Jesus. And the tragedy really is that many churches will settle for discipleship simply being turning up on a Sunday and giving money into a bucket. God has so much more for us than that. And if we in the coming years grow to be many, many hundreds or thousands, and yet no one is becoming more and more like Jesus, then we're wasting our time. It's a, it's a waste of energy. What God wants for us is to change. Jesus loves us too much to leave us as we are. He loves us too much. So where you are right now, God loves you. He accepts you. If you know Jesus, you're, you're clothed in his righteousness. You can know God and you know him forever. But where you are right now, he doesn't want you to stay like that. He doesn't want you to remain as you are right now. He wants to change you, to help you to be more like Jesus, to have a life and a ministry that looks more and more like Jesus' life and ministry. So this is why discipleship is needed. And the wonderful thing is that in discipling others, we get to partner with God. He's, he's about building his church. Jesus said, I will build my church. It's not our job to build the church. But if we disciple people, we'll always build the church. That'll be the byproduct of it. We disciple people, the church will be built. God allows us to partner with him. So where does discipleship happen? It's always in the church, but not necessarily on a Sunday morning. It's always in the church, but not necessarily on a Sunday morning. Church is the primary means by which we become more and more like Jesus. Each other, God has given us each other, even those in this church that really annoy you, even those in this church that grate you and rub you up the wrong way, he has given you those people for your own maturity and growth as a Christian. So discipleship happens 
always in the context of the church. But the primary means is not necessarily Sunday morning meetings. Now, it's great. I love these contexts. I love coming together, worshipping God. I love having coffee, chatting with people. I love hearing the Word of God preached. And in all of those things, discipleship can happen. But it's not the primary means by which discipleship happens. It's not the primary means by which that process happens in our lives of becoming more like Jesus. Because I can preach my heart out on a Sunday, and you might go home and think, oh, that was really challenging what he said. But unless actually we then put it into practice, it's really not leading to discipleship. It's not leading to us becoming more like Jesus. So yes, Sunday services, yes, hearing the word of God, yes, serving teams. You know, getting on a serving team is so important for our discipleship because Jesus taught us that that leadership looks like serving. It looks like laying our life down for others. It looks like getting our hands dirty and, uh, and, and, and getting out of our comfort zone and for, for the good of others. So serving teams on Sundays and in other areas of church life and serving people generally, these are ways in which we become more like Jesus. But again, it's not the primary means. Yes, small groups. Yes, prayer evenings. These are good for us. These will help us to grow in our discipleship, but they're not the primary means. I mean, small group, how easy is it to put on a face at small group? How easy is it when you're going through the word study and there's a, there's a convicting question asked and we think, well, I could share here now what's going on in my life, but I'm just going to put on a nice smiley face and just pretend that everything's fine and nothing's really going to change because we struggle to, to open up our lives to others to speak into it. And I understand the reasons for that. But these things are not the primary means by which we're discipled. The primary means is an all-of-life immersion Jesus modeled this. He took 12 guys, and for three years, he took them everywhere he went. They went to weddings together. They went to parties together. They went to the temple together. They went into synagogues together. They walked through the countryside together. They got in trouble together. People kicked them out of places for preaching about the kingdom of God. They saw Jesus response in every, situ- every single situation, they saw his response. They saw how he reacted. They saw him go off to pray. They often overheard him praying. It was an immersion. He invited them into his life. And for three years, they got to see not only the truth, but how it worked, worked out in Jesus' life. So really, discipleship, the word disciple means learner. And discipleship happens best in the context of immersion, of actually people inviting others to come into their lives to see how they apply the truth in their lives and in different situations. Parents here, if you have children, parents have children, if you have children here, then this is for you. You are to disciple your children. What's going on downstairs right now and in the youth group right now is fantastic People are giving up their time and energy for free to serve your children and young people. And yet what is going on there needs to be, it needs to be solidified at home. You, you know, we're to disciple our children. We're, we're, it's our primary, <laughs> it's our role and uh, responsibility primarily and the children's leaders secondarily. We're to disciple our children, to show them the truth, but then to model it as well, to show them what it means and how we work it out in our lives. Information is good, 
But really, imitation is what it's all about. And when it comes to learning a language, I don't know how many people here um, don't have English as a first language. Maybe you've come here and for a time it was difficult to learn a language. When I was 18, I went to Mexico, spent eight, uh, six months living in Mexico. And before I traveled to Mexico, I, I learned a few things. I was given some information. I had a teacher um, and I was given some information. All I could say as I sat on the plane traveling to Mexico was, My name's Tom. I'm 18 years old. Where is the toilet? I'm hungry. Uh, and I'm lost. I could just say a few phrases. And then I was put in a house with about 15 other people who were doing a similar thing to me, giving up a year to serve a church. And they all uh, spoke only Spanish apart from one person. And so within about three days, I can remember very well going to my room and crying because I just couldn't communicate with these people. I just, no matter how I tried, I just couldn't communicate. And it was really, really quite hard for the first few weeks. But by being immersed in that culture and immersed in that language, I was able to pick up the language quite quickly. And come the, towards the end of my time there, I was able to share the gospel with people, I was able to speak with people. And I remember one time uh, I made a big blunder and I told someone that God so loved the world that he sent his son so that he could take your fish away. Because fish and sin are very similar in Spanish. And I told them that God could take their fish away. And uh, very embarrassing. But, you know, immersion was the key thing there. For my learning, immersion was the key thing. Being in amongst people. And the key to learning by immersion is having access to the culture that you want to imitate. That you want to shape you. So discipleship happens not just on Sundays. It happens in, in the whole of life. It happens at the pub. It happens when you're fishing. It happens when you're watching the game. It happens when you're going to work. It happens when you're spending time with other people. Discipleship can happen. It's an immersion thing. It's an inviting people in kind of thing. Paul, the Apostle Paul, modeled this really well. If we look in 1 Thessalonians and chapter 2, you don't have to turn there. It's going to come up on the screens. Paul's talking about the way in which he ministered to the church in Thessalonica in Greece. He's talking about the way he ministered to them. And he says here in, uh, in verse 8, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. So they didn't just share the gospel with this church. He and his team shared their lives with them. They stayed there for many months, so people could see how this gospel outworked itself in their lives. So not only were we willing to share the gospel, we shared our lives with you. And then we see later on maybe what the, co what the content of their discipleship looked like. It says here, for we know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So they lived amongst the people of the church. They showed them how the gospel outworked itself. And then they comforted and encouraged and urged or charged, as we see in one translation. They charged people to live a life that was worthy of the gospel of God. So it's an, invita it's an invitational thing. It's inviting people in to see how we practically outwork the gospel in our own lives, to see how we make mistakes and how we repent and go before God and, and, and change and how we turn around from things. So it takes investment. Looking at the how-to here, it takes investment. 
Who's God put around me? Who can I encourage? Who can I comfort? Who can I charge or urge? Who can I speak to in that way? Who can I invite in? The invite is crucial. Jesus modeled this really well, didn't he? Everywhere he went, his disciples went with him. They, they never had any doubt that they were loved by Jesus. They would not have doubted it for one second that they were loved by Jesus. He invited them in. And then, from that place of them knowing his invitation, knowing that they were loved by him, he was able to challenge them. So take Peter again. Jesus is talking about his impending death. And Peter says, no, that can't happen. I'm not going to let that happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He calls one of his friends Satan. If I said that to one of you guys, I think you would be in a bit of a, bit of a strop for a few weeks. But G- Peter knew that Jesus loved him. He invited them in to an extent that he could bring challenge. Jesus created a highly inviting but highly challenging culture. The disciples, they often left perplexed and confused, but they never doubted Jesus' love. Paul, as we see, modeled this too. They knew Paul and the way that he lived his life, and he was able to then bring challenge, to charge them to live a life that was worthy of the gospel. Challenge might be given from a pulpit, might be given preaching like this, but it's best given in the context of a personal relationship. It's more effective given in the context of a personal relationship. Therefore, we all need to make disciples. If we want to see people change to become more like Jesus, we all need to do it because even in this context, I I can't change people's decisions. I can't have an impact and I can't speak into particular situations whereas each one of us can with those that we're discipling. So it looks like comforting, it looks like encouraging, and it looks like urging. Paul talks about urging people. It's not about manning up. It's not about kind of just getting things sorted out. It's not about giving people a kick out the backside. It's comforting, encouraging, and it's urging, saying, come on, Jesus has died for you. He's paid the price for you. He's risen again. He's won you. So don't, be, don't do that anymore. It's not, he's got so much better for you. It's got so much better for you. Don't give yourself to that, whatever it might be. It's not about kicking people up the backside and saying, hey, man up, get on with it. That's not discipleship. It's got to be done in the context of invite and of immersion so people can really see that you, you live this out yourself, that you're not just telling others to do it, that actually you've invited people in. So where do we go from here? Firstly, we get intentional about our own discipleship. So we seek out people that we want to learn from. I talked about immersion and actually the best way to learn is to immerse yourself in the culture of the culture that you want to shape you. Well, if there's people that you see and you think, well, I know that they walk with God closely. I want to know how they do it. I'm going to try and get time with them. I'm going to ask them if, how, they, how they do that. I, I, see, I see him. He, 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 looks, he parents really well. His children are, are really... They're, just, they're, they're lovely kids, and they're disciplined, they, they're really loving. I want to ask them, how do you do that? Because I can't do it. I'm, I'm impatient with them, or I'm angry, or I'm lazy, whatever it might be. Or those that seem to be looking after and stewarding their finances well. I want to learn from you. How do you do that? I, I want to get time with you. We've got to get intentional about these things. But intentional. We ask people to speak into our lives. You know, isolation is a big deal in our society as a whole, we're more connected than ever before, but we're more isolated than ever before. We're connected 
in inverted commas, we're connected by all kinds of social media, but we're really isolated. And you know, that is the place where our enemy, the devil, wants us. He wants us to be isolated. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a preacher in the Second World War era in Germany, he wrote this, Sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. In the darkness of the unexpressed, it poisons the whole being of a person. And he talks later on about those that then confess it to someone. He says here, the expressed acknowledged sin has now lost all its power. He is no longer alone with his evil, for he has cast off his sin in confession to another. He's handed it over to God. And now he stands in the fellowship of sinners who live by the grace of God in the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, seriously, if you're struggling in sin, you need to, you need to speak with someone. You need to get someone to speak into your life. You need to get someone who will actually comfort and encourage and urge you. You need that. Isolation is a dangerous place to be in. That's exactly where our enemy would want, us to, would want us to be. So we need to get serious about our own discipleship. Secondly, we need to get intentional about the discipleship of others. I've hopefully explained today that it's the job of all of us because every, for every one of us, there's someone who needs encouragement. There's someone who's less mature than us in our faith. Even if you think, man, I've only been at this for five minutes, there's someone who's been at it for four minutes. There's someone that you can encourage. There's someone that you can speak into and help. And then simply just ask someone if they want to meet up with you. You don't have to say, hi, I'd like to disciple you. You don't have to be weird about it. You just say, let's go for a drink. Let's go fishing together. Let's go for a run. I want to chat when we run. just want to hang out, get to know you. It doesn't have to be weird at all. Invest time, like Jesus did. Invest time, lots of it. Build friendship. Pray together. Pray together. The best way to share your heart with someone is through prayer. Because that's how people get hold of what's in your heart when you're sharing it with God. One of my friends recently said to me, you know, Tom, when we've spent time together, I've learned how to pray. Because before, prayer for me was something formal. It was something rehearsed and I didn't really, it wasn't like I was connecting really with God. And he said, well, since we pray together, I've learned what it is to talk with God. Pray together. Sometimes we have to challenge people. Sometimes we have to, as friends, we have to wound each other. We have to say, you know, seriously, that attitude in your life is not good. Now, we have to be in a place where they know, they know without a shadow of doubt that you love them. People have to know that before you bring challenge. But sometimes we have to do that. And we need to have patience. Three years in, Jesus has discipled Peter for three years. And then he goes and messes up and says he doesn't even know Jesus. You know, that, this is the reality. Jesus probably the most, well, no, not probably, the most effective discipler of all time. Three years in, his disciples are still making errors because each one of us will. We're not going to reach perfection this side of heaven. So we have to have patience. Some helpful models out there that I've seen, some are in the church here, as well as going to small groups and playing a meaningful part in a small group. Some are gathering together once a month to pray together, prayer trios just talking, praying together, asking for people to speak into their lives. Sometimes people call it running partners. Some people actually go running, and as they run, they're able to talk with each other and help each other. 
It's not about, uh, you know, friends, it's not about, as I shared last week, it's not about simply knowing more of the Bible. Discipleship's not helping people just to be able to recite the Bible. You know, this isn't going to do anything. It's all about loving God more. The Bible helps me to love God more. It doesn't help, me, it doesn't help God to love me more. <laughs> Reading the Bible helps me to love God more. That's the goal. Devotion to him. So we're going to stand in a few moments' time. I want to finish with this quote from Andy Stanley, preacher in America. He says this, Your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God might not be something that you do, but someone that you raise. Your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God might not be something that you do, but someone that you raise. And the Apostle Paul, who we've read about a little bit today, he this couple called Priscilla and Aquila, they invited Paul into their home. They spent time with him. They encouraged him. No doubt they corrected him on some things in his early years, spoke into his life. And he was able to then go on and become the probably most effective missionary there's ever been. Spent his life planting churches, preaching the gospel, seeing the kingdom of God advance. People were healed Demons driven out. This couple may not have done anything else with their lives of note, but they helped to raise Paul. And that might be for us, it might be our calling, that we might not, never any, do anything that kind of gets us any fame or attention, but actually we might encourage, comfort and urge some people who go on and do some radical things for the gospel. So I want to encourage each one of us this morning. This is our mission. This is not the mission of five or six leaders or some staff members. This is our mission to make disciples, to invite people into our lives, to encourage, comfort, instruct, to challenge, to love, to pray with. This is our mission, each one of us, each one of us. And it's, uh, it's something that we can do in the context of everyday life. So let's be asking, who can I encourage? Who can I get alongside? Who can I spend time with? Should we stand together? I just want to pray for each one of us. The band are going to come and join us. We're going to sing a final song before we close the meeting. But I'd just love to now pray for each one of us that we would receive this in our hearts. Maybe, maybe you'd like to maybe just open up your hands as a way of saying, God, I just want to receive this. And I want to receive and empowering from you to do this. Father God, we just come to you now, and we want to say we are up for this mission of making disciples. We're up for this mission of making disciples. We're up for this mission of helping people along the journey of becoming more like Jesus. And I want to pray for each one of us here who know you, that we would take this mission on board and that we would invest our lives, that we might spend our lives for the joy of others, that they would come to know you more and more. I want this for my life. I want this for all my brothers and sisters here. And I pray that all of this town will be impacted, and this, this county, and in Essex, and this part of the world, we want to see nations impacted as we make disciples, as we encourage and instruct and comfort. I want to play my part, Lord. Why don't you say that to God? I want to play my part. 
play my part in this. I don't want to miss out. I'm not going to believe the lies that I can't do it or that I'm not qualified. I'm not going to believe the lies that I would just fail if I did it. I'm going to allow my mind to be changed by the word of God here. God, you would use each one of us. Maybe just whilst people are just engaging with God, if you haven't, if you don't know God, if you don't know him this morning, then his invite to you is one that is costly and that is free. It's costly in that your life will change. It's costly in that you will have to take up your cross and there'll be some things that will be uncomfortable for you in life. This life isn't one of comfort that God's offering to us. But he's offering you the free gift of salvation. Believe in Jesus. Believe in what he has done on the cross. See that when he hung there on the cross, it was for you and I. It was in our place. Take hold of that gift. Accept it today. And give your life to him. Give your life to God. There's no no better decision that you could make. Maybe as we sing now, you might just want to just pray. Prayer is simply talking to God. Just talk to him. Say, oh, yeah, I want you, God. I want everything that you have for me. I want you to forgive me. I want to be accepted by you. I want to live for you. Tell him that. Tell him that. And if you've done that, come and speak to me afterwards. I'm interruptible. Speak to a friend that you came with, maybe. Just say, I've given my life to God. I've entrusted my life to his hands. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.